Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were to describe your life to me, how would you tell it? Better yet, let me ask you, what's it like being a follower of Christ? Do you find that this is something that comes easy for you? Or do you find that it comes hard? Is it easy to wake up every Sunday morning and hop out of bed, get dressed, and come to church? Do you live for gathering together with the people of God, hearing the word of God proclaimed, receiving Christ's forgiveness? Or do you see the clock on Sunday morning, roll back over and say, just a few more minutes? Do you move at a snail's pace on Sunday morning, and by the time worship is about to begin, you're still waking up with your first cup of coffee? in your pajamas, saying, guess we're watching the service online today. Or does Sunday morning pass by and you are so busy with other things that you don't even think about worship because you got to get to work or take your kids to soccer or meet your friends for brunch. And so when you do remember it Sunday, you say, Guess we'll watch church later. But do you? Watch it later? In the gospel reading for today, there are three examples of people who want to become followers of Jesus. And how these conversations play out is how we can look at our own lives as followers of Christ. Let's start in the reverse order. A man comes out to Jesus and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. You can imagine that this man knew that he would be following Jesus for a while, and, well, he wanted to say goodbye to his family. Let them know that he wasn't going to be coming home anytime soon. Jesus responds with, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Just like working a plow in the field at this time, it took the use of both hands. Following Jesus takes a full commitment. Now, this one might seem a little strange because what this man is asking is actually no different than what happened with Elisha in the Old Testament reading. Elijah calls Elisha as his successor. That's what the whole casting his cloak on him is about. Elisha was actually plowing the field when this happened. And he leaves the oxen and runs to Elijah and says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Elisha is actually able to return to his family and he shares a final meal with them. And then he leaves his family to go and assist Elijah. So what could be the difference here between Jesus and Elijah? 
Because after all, there are many similarities between Jesus and Elijah. Well, we know that Elijah had one successor. It was Elisha. And in fact, Elisha had been chosen by God to be the one to come after Elijah. So when Elisha says, let me say goodbye to my family, if Elijah were like, well, never mind, let me take my cloak back, he would be going directly against God's choice. So, yes, he would allow Elisha to say his goodbyes to his family. At this point with Jesus, he already has 12 disciples. Not successors like Elijah, but followers. And everyone mentioned in this story is another follower being added to the group. On top of that, Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That means that his focus is now on the cross. Each step is one step closer to his death, and that means there is no time to waste. Jesus is not looking back, and anyone who can't give their full attention, anyone who looks back, is not able to totally, fully commit to him and following him, sacrificing their life. And so they are not fit to do so. They are not fit to follow him. And what's the end result of this one man wanting to follow Jesus? Does he follow him? We don't know. The second person in the story features Jesus saying to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, it would seem like a fair request to essentially have your parents' funeral before you follow Jesus. And after all, there is that whole honor your father and mother commandment. And it would seem like you wouldn't be honoring them if you skipped their funeral. But Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This may sound kind of harsh, especially since it's kind of impossible for the dead to bury the dead. But Jesus wanted this man to understand that following him should take precedence over all other things in life. No excuse is good enough. And what's the end, of, end result of this man following Jesus? Does he? Well, just like the third? We don't know. And lastly, the first person in the gospel comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. No ifs or buts attached here, just I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man is Jesus referring to himself, and we know that in the course of Jesus' ministry, he traveled to many different places. So it wasn't like he had this home base that he went to at the end of every day. He went from town to town and relied on the generosity of others to provide for his daily needs like a bed to sleep in. So the animals, 
like foxes and birds, have homes. And if you want to be a disciple, expect that the cost is going to be great. And maybe that means you will not have a home to go to at the end of every night. When I traveled to Israel, we went to Capernaum, and there was this statue of Jesus. And the paper titles it, Homeless Jesus. And there's a reference to this verse, that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is a picture of what your life as a Jesus follower could look like. Are you ready for that? And with the other two people, we don't know the end result, whether or not this man ended up following Jesus. So what do these interactions mean for us? Let's go back to the original question. What's it like being a follower of Christ? Obviously, we can take the words of Jesus in the gospel and apply them to ourselves. It takes total commitment. It takes putting all of the earthly things aside and focusing on heavenly, eternal things. It means putting Christ first in your life above all other things, making him the number one priority. It means that you are set apart in this world because you are called to live in the world but not of the world which makes you different than the majority of the rest of the world. The temptation, of course, is to not live like the rest of the world. That's what the reading from Galatians is about. Listen to how the world lives. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But guess what? This is how we live also. Take a look at this list. And I guarantee that you will find at least something that applies to you, if not many things. And if not, well, then read those words and things like these. Because we're sinners, you and me. We're sinful from birth, sinful from the time we are conceived in our mother's womb. Sin has been in the world since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so the works that we do are the works of the flesh in order to please the flesh. They are the works of our sinful nature to please the sinful nature. And the end result of those who live lives like this, indulging forever in the sinful nature, is the same for those who cannot commit to Jesus fully in life like you heard in the gospel. They are not fit for. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this applies to all of us. The wages of sin is death. 
Yes, it's physical death, and we will all one day die on this earth unless Christ returns first because of our sin. And also it's that we do not deserve to enter into the kingdom of God. We deserve to be cast from his presence for all eternity into hell, suffering eternal death. That's exactly why Jesus had to have his sights set on Jerusalem. That's why Jesus had to take the lonely road to the cross. Two of Jesus' disciples betray him. All of the rest of the disciples abandon him as he's arrested. This is the journey that he and he alone could walk because he is the son of man and he is the sinless son of God. And each step is one step closer to his death. But each step is one step closer to forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins for all people through his death. Each nail is one step closer to everlasting life for those who believe. Because it's in his death when Jesus makes all things right. He pays the price for our sins. On the cross, he bears all of our sins, all of the works of our flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he willingly, voluntarily makes them his own. He takes our punishment, our death, our suffering, our hell. Why? So that we can inherit the kingdom of God. And his resurrection from the dead proves that he has defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all. And just like Elijah, Jesus does have a successor. At his ascension into heaven, and even before that, he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent to his followers. That's Pentecost. And for all of us who have been baptized, we have received the Holy Spirit. For all those who believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in them because the Holy Spirit is the one who creates faith and sustains it. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we are able to believe that Jesus is the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to live not according to the flesh and indulging in the works of the flesh, but rather to do the works of the Spirit, or rather the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It is the Holy Spirit who helps us to live in the world, but not of the world. And it is the Holy Spirit who is at work in us as the church gathers together around the word and sacraments. It is the Holy Spirit who works in the lives of people to be an encouragement to you in your journey of faith.
It is the Spirit who helps the church be the people of God that he has called them to be, to be one, to be one body that is made up of many parts. But as you know, people are sinners, and they can be conceited and provoke one another and envy one another and say that there are parts of the body that are not worth being a part of the body. They sow seeds of opposition within the body. And they can be like the disciples and abandon you and betray you. Yes, in the church. Because the church is full of sinners. Full of sinners who sin. It's you. It's me. And whether it's you today or me sinning, Jesus still died for us. He still loves us enough that he willingly gave his life for us to restore our brokenness, to fix all that is wrong with us, to redeem our lives from the pit of destruction, and to plant us firmly in himself. He has made us his own through baptism, marked us as ones redeemed by him. He has called us by his word as his sons and daughters. And he has given us himself on the cross, and he gives himself in his holy supper for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. What's it like being a follower of Christ? Well, it's impossible on your own. That's why Jesus walked the journey to the cross. For you. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. For you. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit. For you. To keep in step with the Spirit and bear the fruits of the Spirit. That's why he's called you to be baptized. That's why he calls you to eat his flesh and drink his blood so that you can believe in Christ and follow him all of the days of your life because he is leading and guiding your every step in life. And he will be the one to welcome you home into his kingdom, into eternal life. All of this is his work for you. These are the words and promises that God declares. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.